If you got a Bible, we're going to dive into God's Word today in the book of Ephesians. Grab your Bible. Ephesians chapter 6 is where we're going to be. Today we're going to be talking about children, about parents, and about fathers. And so today, uh, everybody in this room is in one of those three categories. You're a child, a parent, or a father. Some of you are all three. And um, I believe God has something for every single one of us. So Ephesians 6, verses 1 through 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, for this is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is the word of God. Let's pray to that very God now. Jesus, we thank you that your word is a a lamp to our feet. We thank you that your word guides us. And Jesus, I know this morning as we, we gather around your word and we hear words about being a parent, as we see words about being a father, as we see words that remind us even of our own childhood, that you would give us, God, the clarity to, despite what may have happened in our childhood, what may conjure up in our minds when we think about our own fathers, that you would allow us to come into these moments and truly see you for the father you are. And Jesus, I thank you that despite the father wounds that we may have in this room, you promise us that it is by your wounds that we are healed. But Jesus, it's also by your wounds that we have a home and a place with the father. So Jesus, I pray that you would use my words. Holy Spirit, you would allow nothing that does not draw people closer and closer to you to be said that you would remove me out of the way so that we're able to see you and that by the preaching of your word, Jesus, you would change lives. In your name, amen. All right, so we're getting ready to dive into this today. And again, this is all in this backdrop of the Apostle Paul leaning into this simple truth and simple reality that we are called to walk in light. We are called to walk in love, and we're called to walk in wisdom. And underneath that category of him encouraging us and calling us to walk in those things, the Apostle Paul begins to say, here are the primary places where you'll be able to see that actually happen in your life. Last week, we talked about marriage and how marriage is one of the primary places to where we're able to put on display the sacrificial love that Jesus gave to us. And he encouraged and called husbands in order to, to lay down their lives, to sacrifice and to serve their wife. And we redefined love based on the way that Jesus redefined love and said, love is not just this feeling of the mushy, gushy, lightning bolt striking your you know, kind of self. He said, love is actually sacrifice. And if there's not sacrifice in what you feel, then it's not really love. And then Paul turns a corner and he goes from talking about husbands and wives and he says, Let's stick with this notion of what's going on at home, and let's talk about children. Let's talk about parenting. And then he spends a lot of time, most of his time, giving the most direct instruction to fathers. And so today, since we are talking about kids, I want you to take a second, and let's go on kind of a mental journey of what do you, if you are a parent or hope to be a parent one day, or maybe you have kids who are a little bit grown in the room, what do you hope your kids grow up to be? Like, who do you hope they turn out to be? Who do, you, who do you want them to marry? What type of person do you want? Do you even want them to get married? Uh, what type of, of woman do you hope your little girl grows up to be? What type of man do you hope she marries? Or do you hope she marries at all? Dad's in the room going, nope, never. <laughs> what about your sons? Those of you who have boys in the room. What type of man do you hope he grows up to be? What do you hope he grows up valuing and caring about and standing for? What type of woman do you hope he picks? What type of dad do you hope he becomes? One like you? When you think about your kids, will they be walking with Jesus? What are your hopes for their relationship with Jesus? What do you hope that they believe to be true about God? What do you hope that they're practicing and doing? What, do you, what are your deep, greatest hopes and longings for your kids? And young people in the room, I know it may seem like it's a long, 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 long way away, but even now, the decisions you make will change and affect the parent you are and the kids you have one day. So even you can think about this. What type of hopes do I have for the kids I will have one day? The big question 
is who do I hope they become? Who do I hope they become? You got that in your head? You're thinking, you're imagining those things, envisioning those things? Well, before we go too far today, I wanna make you aware of a kind of shocking reality. It's that you and Satan actually have some things in common when it comes to your kids. Maybe you haven't realized this, but I hope today you are brought into an alarming awareness of this reality that Satan also has hopes and dreams for your kids. In the same way that you have hopes for what they'll become and what they'll do and and who they'll turn into, Satan does as well. Both of you have that in common. You have hopes and dreams for your kids. Now, let me ask you another question. You know who you want them to become, but do you know how you're gonna guide them into becoming that? To make it simple and to say it a different way, you know who you want them to become, What's your plan to get them there? Like, what's your strategic and intentional plan to take them from the little ball of sin that they may be right now, if you have a young, really infant one, into growing them into the saved by grace saint, walking with Jesus, led by the Holy Spirit, sold out follower of Jesus that you just hoped and prayed that they would become? What's your plan? What's your strategy? How in the world are you going to do that? Now, if you're anything like me, you, you go from the hopes and dreams side of things to then the, okay, somebody just asked me how in the world I'm going to do that. What's my strategic plan to be able to make that happen? And a little bit of nervousness wells up in you because you've got some hopes and you've got some dreams and maybe you even have a vision, but what you may not have is a strategic and intentional plan. And maybe you're starting to realize, like, maybe my strategy on parenting is more like an alcoholic strategy for recovery. We'll just take it one day at a time. And that's a little bit scary now that I say it out loud. What I want you to understand today, what I want you to get, if you feel a little bit of that nervousness, where you see an incongruence from what you hope your kids grow up and become, who you hope they are, and you see a lack of you knowing actually how to do that and what your plan is, I'm going to say something that may be alarming, but I'm saying it on purpose. If you know who you want your kids to become, but you don't have a plan for how you're going to do that, Satan has more for your kids than you do. Because we both, us and Satan, both have a plan for who we want them to become. Now, many of us in this room, we have no plan, no strategy, no intentionality around how in the world I'm going to actually do that. But what you need to understand, and the reason I'm telling you this and trying to purposely alarm you so that you get the why before we're getting ready to lean into what we're leaning into, Satan both knows who and he knows how. He knows who he wants them to be. Wicked, vile, hateful, racist, evil, adulterous person. He has a clear picture for who he wants your kids and grandkids to become. And I said what I meant He also knows how. He knows how to do what he's trying to do. And so my encouragement to you as parents in the room and grandparents in the room is don't you dare let Satan have more for your kids and grandkids than you have for him. You may know who, but you've got to know how. You gotta learn how to be strategic. You gotta be able to make a plan got to be able to walk into this with some grace and some confidence to know that I can't just get by on my hopes and dreams and think that if I don't take intentional steps, they're just going to drift into the perfect kid that I'm hoping and dreaming they become. That's crazy. Now, hearing some of that, it should fire you up. It should make you have a little bit of anger in your heart to know that there are evil, satanic, demonic forces that have hopes and dreams for your children. That right now at this very moment, there are dozens of demons strategically planning on how they're going to ruin your kid's life. 
And I've lived long enough and I've seen long enough happen to say that he actually, like I see the living proof that he knows how. I've seen enough lives ruined to know that he knows what he's doing and he knows how to do it. And And honestly, it looks like he's doing fairly well for himself. Unfortunately. And there's got to be something inside of our hearts as people of God and parents ordained by God to raise our kids. There's got to be something inside of you that gets angry about that. There's a reason why anger, like sometimes we get this bad notion on anger, like I'm not allowed to be angry. Christians can't get angry. No, you should get angry. There's a reason why anger is not immediately called a sin. It's because you should see how Satan is tactically and intentionally and strategically coming against your family and you should get angry to the point that it motivates you to get off your behind and be intentional with your family. Now look, I know, you fa- I know we fail in these things, parents, but what I'm trying to encourage you on is you don't have time to wallow in your mistakes because your family is on the line. Jesus will heal your mistakes as you pick yourself up and he'll walk you through this, guided in part with the Holy Spirit and lead you into a place where you're strategic about your family. And the reason I'm so passionate about this, the reason that that I want you to hear our heart as a church on this is because as a church, MCC, we're going to do everything we can to fight for families. We may not hang any more flags up. We may not partner with any other countries around the world. But part of the unique call that I know God has placed on us is to fight for families. Because Satan is all too strategic in getting you distracted with so many other things. Like, when was the last time you thought about maybe there's demonic forces trying to get my kids to fall into all these crazy sinful things? When was the last time you just paused for a second and thought about, hey, I know Satan knows what he wants to get my kid addicted to when he's in high school. Hey, Satan already has my kid's second and third marriage already planned out. He already knows what their first suicide attempt is going to be aided by. And I'm not trying to, to scare you into this. But sometimes we have to have this wake-up call. We get consumed with sports and holidays and what are we going to buy these kids? And we forget that there is an enemy trying to take our kids And this is what we do as a church is we rise up, we rally together, and we say we refuse to let the enemy pick off our most weak, our most vulnerable. We will rise up, whether it's a single mom, whether it's your typical traditional family, whether it's a single dad, whether it's grandparents raising their kids, kids, whatever it may be. Even the single people in the room who don't have kids going, no, 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 no. We're going to protect the most vulnerable. We're going to do everything we can to fight for families for the sake of the next generation, knowing the gospel, carrying the gospel forward, so that the thing that is faith here in the city is a light that never gets blown out by the enemy. And that's our, that's our call. So today, we're going to lean specifically into this. We're going to talk specifically to the parent side of things, but then really lean into the fathers. So fathers in the room, like, I'm not just going to go, here's all this ethereal, theoretical things. We're going to talk some very practical things because Paul gets very practical, and we're going to lean heavily into that. Before I do that, I want to just make one thing really, really clear that I know as our church continues to grow and continues to try to reach our city, that we're going to have more and more women who find themselves in our church who are single mothers. And so today you're going to hear me talk a lot about things that a father needs to do, a father needs to do, a father needs to do. And I want you to hear from the bottom of my heart that these are things that I believe your heavenly father will guide, help, and empower you to do. And I will stand by as the leaders of MCC, and we will do everything we can to fill in whatever blank that you cannot fill to show your kids the love, care, and respect of the Heavenly Father. Because I know you're trying to do both roles. And I know, because it was my story too, I know that it's not easy. And it sometimes maybe even feels impossible. But we're here for you. And just because you may hear me not lean in heavily, I want you to hear from the beginning you're seen, that you're heard, and that your heavenly father will supply where the needs are not. And I hope he will be gracious enough to even use us as McDonough Christian Church to do that for the kids that you feel like you're having to play both roles for. All right, let's dive into this passage. Paul starts out by leaning directly into the kids. He says, children, which this would have been a big deal, okay? For him to send this formal letter and right off the bat address children. He didn't say, hey, parents, 
um, when your kids get back in the room, make sure you tell them this. So what does this imply? That as they're reading this letter there in the living room or the, the house church in Ephesus, who's in the room? Yeah, kids, which I would say to the kids in this room today. Maybe you picked a bad day to come to a big church, but like this is for you too. Like children, obey your parents. Like that's not an option. It's not when you feel like it. It's like just legit, like obey your parents. Unless what they're telling you to do is sinful, obey. Children, obey your parents. He says, obey your parents in the Lord. Understanding that God gave them that authority and part of you understanding the God and Father he is is gonna be in you surrendering and submitting and obeying that authority. He says, for this is right. Now again, he's already said a lot of really countercultural things today. First of all, he said there are children, all right? We're all not just, they're actually younger things. Uh, we're all not just grown up, so we all don't have authority. And then he tells them to obey. And then he says they're actually parents, okay? That's crazy, even in our, in our culture. And then there's a Lord, again, absolutely crazy. And then he says there actually is something that is right and true. Paul is so countercultural. So abnormal, kicking against all of what our modern society is. And so because he does, let's try to do the same thing. Let's redefine what children are. Paul makes it very clear. Bible makes it very clear. Children are a blessing. Now I know, you know, if you drove here in your Dodge Caravan and they were screaming, yelling, shouting, and, you know, fighting and everything else, and you were 15 minutes late, but you were trying to listen to 104.7 to fish, and they were making up their own lyrics, and they were annoying and everything else. And back. It does not always feel like they're a blessing, right? No. But listen, the Bible cover to cover makes it very clear that children are a blessing from the Lord. When they're little, when they're in the middle, even through teenage years, and then on into their adulthood, children are a blessing. I would add something to it. They are an expensive, complicated blessing. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> right? Like, but nonetheless, they are still, in fact, a blessing. They're a blessing to us. And to go back to, to the verse... It says, children, you're called to obey the parents. So what this implies is that there has got to be this surrender and this fellowship that is there. And what this means for us as parents, if Paul is going to look to the parents under the inspiration of Jesus and the Holy Spirit and write to the kids, children, obey your parents, what that means is, parents, we have to actually give them things to obey. Parents, <laughs> this means you have to actually have rules. And they can actually be implemented. And there can actually be accountability. This societal notion of free-range parenting is absolutely crazy. It works with chickens. It does not work with kids. Well, again, you don't want chicken outcomes for your kids. All the chickens get slaughtered or hit by cars. Free-range parenting will not work for your kids. He's saying there has to be instructions. Nowhere in, this wor in, the, in the Word of God does it say, and again, this is the the megaphone from our society to how to raise kids is create a conducive, safe environment for them and let them grow into whatever they will become. That is not Christian parenting. Paul would not say, obey, teach your children to obey in the Lord and then say what he's getting ready to say about honor and respect. He would not say those things if we weren't supposed to intentionally set up guardrails, guidelines, rules, and even, dare I say, punishment for when those things were broken if we weren't entitled, equipped, and encouraged to do those things and then been held accountable by God for how we did those things. It goes on from there. And two and three, he says, okay, so first of all, we're, we're going to obey. And then he says, we're going to honor. He says, honor your mother and father. This is the first commandment with a promise. And the reason it's promise is that it may go well with you. And you may live in the land for a long time. So track with me here. Um, there's not a ton of kids in the room. So I don't want to spend uh, my bulk of my time leaning into this. But he's saying there's got to be honor and obedience. There's honor and obedience. Now, all of us in this room, at some point in our teenage years, probably well even before that, we had obedience without honor. And some of your kids, this is where Paul puts both of these things in here. Your kids do this, all right? They can have obedience. You can say, hey, go upstairs and go take a shower. And they go upstairs like this. Again, like, at least that's just my kids. They just enjoy being dirty uh, like that. They tell them to take a shower, they get mad. You know, you got your own things in your house. And there's obedience, but there's no honor, right? 
Now, I'm going to talk to you in the room because I know you may not qualify or identify yourself as religious, but everybody else in the world, because you're in this room, would say you are religious. Religious parents are going to have this propensity to fail on the side of obedience, to say, all I care about is if you obey, and I don't care if you honor. And that's a really good way to raise older brothers in the prodigal son story. I only care if you obey. You can have a bad attitude all you want. You can never get the heart behind it. I don't really care. But if you're not careful, you're going to raise, raise Pharisees who only care about obeying. And the Pharisees, the religious ones, are just as dangerous and will do just as much damage as the rebellious ones. And that's why we have to make sure they both have the honor, the heart behind it, and the obedience that backs it up. Now, last thing I'll say on the parents and kids side of things before I really start to lean into dads is what this means in regards to the biggest question we all ask as parents is when do I know my kid is actually saved, right? That's the main thing we care about. Like, I don't care if you brush your teeth. I don't care how many cavities you have. I don't care if you made the team or you got cut from the team. The real main thing we should all be caring about is are you saved? Like, is your eternal security good? We figured that out yet. I'll say a couple of things on this in regards to this verse. First of all, behavior modification does not equal salvation. Just because they start to behave does not mean they're saved. <laughs> and the adverse of that is also true. Salvation does not equal behavior modification. Just because they may actually really be saved. They came out of the waters of baptism and you're like, okay, cool. I'm never going to have to tell them to do their homework again. They're never going to back talk me, sass me, anything else. They got baptized, Trent baptized. He held them under an extra second like I asked them to. And like they're coming up ready to go. You know that doesn't work like that. And so what we've got to understand here is that for us as parents, our goal is not behavior modification. And dare I even say our, our goal after salvation is not them just being perfect. Our goal in all of it is not behavior modification. It's sanctification. Okay, you're saved. Your eternity is secure. Now I'm going to walk with you alongside of this crazy journey that is life. And we're going to lead into sanctification. This process of you becoming Jesus. This process of you being Jesus with flesh and blood and your class and your homework and, and all these things and how you relate to other people. This is the process that the parent is there then for. So they don't get baptized or, or saved and you just go, cool, I did my job. No, your job just started, really. Now you got to figure out how to walk them into this. And this has been an Achilles heel for our society. And because of this, we have people who are physically mature, but emotionally immature. And the cycle continues to perpetuate and perpetuate and perpetuate. And children are raising children. And what Paul offers as a solution is a charge to fathers. I want you to see what he says in verse 4. He says, fathers, we want to have kids that live long. If we want to have kids that are saved, if we want to have kids that walk in salvation, fathers, here's what you need to understand. Here's what you need to lead into. And here's what you have to do. He talks to them first about what not to do. And then he tells them what to do. First of all, he says what not to do, which is like Paul knows that <laughs> we need to know what not to do before we know what to do. All right. We got to stop doing a lot of things because we were already making mistakes. Paul's already been to Ephesus. He spent three years there. He's like, okay, before I can tell you what to do, I got, you got to stop doing some stuff. All right. And dads, we're in the same boat. First of all, he says, do not provoke your children to anger. In their anger, they will either become the religious Pharisee that only cares about doing good so they can get something from you, or they will become the rebellious prodigal who cares little about your things because they see your hypocrisy in it. He says, here is how you have to parent your kids. You parent them in a way that doesn't provoke them to anger. And he tells them what to do. He says, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna try to Lean into this question. Now, men of God in the room, 
uh, granddads in the room, even women of God in the room, take notes, pay attention, lean into this so that you can help partner with your spouse. Or if you're a single mom in this room, this is where you get to lead the way in this and even make up some of the gap from the, the absence of an earthly father and in partnership with your heavenly father, be able to navigate through this. But it's asking this question, okay, well, how do I provoke my kids? And then how do I not do that? First thing that many of us do to provoke our kids is we provoke our kids with our words. I had it explained to me like this, is our words, especially to our children, it's like a bank account. And every positive word that you give, that is a deposit. But every negative word you give, it's a withdrawal. So anytime I'm, I'm criticizing my kids, I'm withdrawing from the bank account. And every time I'm encouraging them, I'm depositing that. And a kid gets provoked to anger when there are way more withdrawals than there are deposits. And in regards to this bank account that is your relationship with your kid, you need to understand that there is no overdraft protection. This is when they become angry. This is when they rebel. When they only see you as a critic and never a coach. You're always there to point out the things that they're doing wrong or the, the way that their hair, they need to comb it better or the way that they didn't tuck their shirt in the right way or the way that they walk or breathe. I mean, I've been around some of you guys. Would you please stop breathing that way? Like, like we're always criticizing, criticizing, criticizing. Why can't you be more like your older brother? Why can't you be like your sister? Did you see what they got on that test? Why can't you work a little bar? We're always criticizing and we're never coaching and guiding into the things that actually need to be done Right. I would say the simple rule of thumb here, especially men of God in this room, you got to understand is that your voice carries so much weight, so much weight, probably more weight than any other relationship in the room. Your voice carries weight. And so you have to understand that it takes three positive words, three positive words of encouragement, three encouragements to outweigh one negative thing you say. So don't just think, oh, I said some positive things last week and this week I've really been negative. No, 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 no. It doesn't work like that. They need to hear way, way, way more positive, encouraging things than they hear the negative things. What I need you to understand, guys, in the room is this is true of you as well. And I know it's not easy, fellas. It's not easy to be a man who shows his kids the love of God if you never felt like you had a man in your life to show you the love of God. It's hard to be a man after God's own heart when the one man you wanted to be after yours wasn't. But I'll say what I said last week. Just because you did not have somebody show you how to do this who had flesh and blood and lived in your house, you have a heavenly father, and he will not call you to something to which he does not give you the power to live in. And so use your words to encourage, to lift up, to build up, because they carry an immense amount of weight. I want to give you a test, Dad, to see how you're doing on this. This probably can work with your older kids. It definitely can work with your younger kids, too. But if you want to see where you're at on this, if you're more of the critic and more of the coach, here's a simple test. You could do this this afternoon. When everything is kind of calm at the house, just say to your kid in a nice, level tone, hey, come here. I want to talk to you about something and watch their body language. If when you say that, hey, come here, I wanna to talk to you about something, they go. You're probably dealing with a kid who knows that the only time you come and talk to them is when you found something wrong with them. But if you say, hey, come here, I wanna to talk to you about something, and again, I don't know your kid's personality. Like, they might not skip across the room. You know, oh, what do you want, my father? Like, they're probably not going <laughs> to be like that. But, like, if you say, hey, come here, I want to talk to you about something, they just kind of walk across the room. They're just pretty normal. That's a kid who understands and knows that when you want to talk to them, even if it is going to be correction, it's coming on the foundation that you love, care for them, have their best interests in mind, that you, they know you love them, you see the best in them, you call out the best in them. That's your take-home test. You can figure that out today, fellas, where you're at. Another way we provoke our kids is physically. This is actually us, men in the room, leveraging the simple fact that we're just bigger than they are to provoke them to anger. Please do not dare discipline your kids physically while you are still angry. 
you do not have the amount of self-control to be able to do that, stop. Just because you're bigger than them doesn't mean you have the right to do that. And I'm telling you, the same way they'll remember those words, they will remember what your hand felt like. They will remember the shove, slap, push. Figure out something to do different. Get the help you need. Repent, go on a walk, get in the car. Tell your wife, obviously, don't just leave. That's even worse. You're gonna walk into two problems when you get home. (laughs) But look, God will give you wisdom how to do it the right way. And maybe even a way that doesn't involve something physical. Another way fathers provoke their kids is by being emotionally absent. You're there, sure, you come home, you get home at the same time, and you're there, and a lot of you, grew, you guys who did grow up with a dad in the home, this is the dad you grew up with, a dad who was physically parent, present but emotionally absent. You couldn't remember the last time he said, I love you. There was probably not one single time where he said, how do you feel about that? Women, again, you wanna know why we have such a hard time talking about our feelings. The reason why so many men have a hard time talking about their feelings is because they never had another man express his feelings to them. And that's the role that a father is supposed to play. So fathers in the room, you're protecting your, your sons and daughters' future marriage by showing them what it looks like for a man of God to properly and adequately express his emotions to them in a way that they can understand on their level. Now, I'll speak to the dads with daughters in the room, especially. If you are emotionally absent but physically present, you have to understand and know, guys, that you are setting up your daughter to fill in your deficiencies. And so she will go be physically present with another stupid, idiotic, immature young man in order to gain the emotional intimacy that you have failed to give her. Because this is some of you in the room story. Men are much more apt to lie and fake emotional depth to get something physically. Men, we're physical in nature, physical pleasure. We want the physical aspects of things. Women, in a dire attempt to get the emotional satisfaction, fulfillment, and approval that you may have not gotten, you will sacrifice physical things that maybe you really didn't want in order to get the emotional thing. It's many of our wounds. And this is why I would quote the great theologian John Mayer, fathers, be good to your daughters. And daughters will do like they should. Mothers, be good to your daughters too. And I can't remember the rest. Simple point is, men in the room, would you want your daughters to marry a man like you? Women in the room, Would you want your husband to marry a woman like you? Men in the room who have boys, would you want your sons to grow up and be a husband to their wife the way that you are to yours? And if you don't feel comfortable about how you answer that, change. Jesus will guide you through that. But no, if you don't, you're provoking that kid to anger and rebellion and the damage is gonna be plenty. I'm much more excited to talk to you about this one. Another way that fathers provoke their kids to anger is by being no fun, all right? Just being a bump on the log, lazy, always got, again, this goes back to, it's kind of a combination of all the other things. Just dad's not fun. I can't remember last time he, you know, said a joke or last time he burped in the car and made us all, kept locked the windows. Like when was the last time that you were fun with your kids? And some of you go like, oh, well, life is too serious. and no, no, no time to be fun. Okay, listen, here's what you need to understand about fun. Fun convinces your kids that you actually like them. They know you love them most of the time. Dad's in the room. You are the engineer of family fun. Create ways, think of ways to where we can have a fun time. And here's what you understand. When you lay this amazing bedrock of fun and joy in your family, do you know what it makes so much easier and able to get over faster? The conflict. 
The times when you do have to discipline, maybe whoop a butt a little bit every now and then. If they know that, man, I, look, dad loves me and also dad likes me. He had to discipline a little bit here and there. He had to give a little course correction here on this. Maybe he had to raise his voice. Maybe he took something away from me. But at the end of the day, I know he not just loves me. I know he really likes me. We have so much joy and fun together. When they really know that, you're good to go. But if all your kids see from you is this emotional blob, who doesn't care enough about them to bring joy out in their life. Again, what is, the, he says, fathers, don't provoke your kids to anger. Well, what's the opposite of anger? Joy. There should be enjoyment in your home. You are the primary engineer of joy, fellas. So what this means is you have to be intentional about it. And what this, here's the, I'll give you the translation as a guy who's been, who has a, as an eight-year-old and been doing this for a little while, not a long time. This means you're going to have to temporarily kiss all of your hobbies goodbye. You know what's better than shooting a big deer or going to a ball game, playing pickup basketball or being in a men's softball league? You know, I can tell you unequivocally what is better than all of those things is seeing my kids experience joy I manufactured for them. Seeing the smiles on their face. Seeing, hearing a kid in the car from something that you took them to do go, this is the best day ever. Like there's nothing that beats that. Get a hole in one. Who cares? There's nothing that beats that, men. Fatherhood is the best hood. Some of you are missing out. You will provoke them to anger if you're no fun. Another way, and it goes right hand in hand, you'll provoke them to anger if you're not generous. If you're just a tightwad who refuses to spend money on anything for your family to go have a good time, you'll provoke them to anger. They'll rebel because I'm willing to bet what they'll see is your hypocrisy. I told you guys a story before about when I ran away, uh, summer out of seventh grade going to eighth grade. I ran away because my, kid, my parents didn't buy me a skateboard and they promised they would. Sound like a spoiled brat when I just say that part of the story. <laughs> I said, if you get all, a, all A's and B's, I'll, we'll get you a skateboard. I was a skateboarder. I know you don't, may not believe that, but I was. And um, that day on the ride home from school, I, got the, I, I kept my end of the deal, and they didn't get it. And the reason that I ran away was not just because they said no. The reason I ran away, because I saw their hypocrisy, even as a seventh grader getting ready to go into eighth grade, because I knew in both of my parents' cars was at least two packs of cigarettes, and I knew in the refrigerator at home was also a case of beer. So I didn't buy the lie that we just didn't have enough money. It was, we didn't just have enough priority for the thing for you. We weren't going to be generous to you because we wanted to make sure we could feed our habits. And again, I... Maybe you have something like that in your house, but what I'm trying to tell you is you think your kids don't see it and don't notice it. They do. They totally notice. And what's wild about these kids, man, is they have great hypocrisy radars. And they'll, they'll see it and they'll, they will call you out. So be ready. Be ready for that. Another way us fathers can provoke our kids to anger is if we don't repent of our own sins. A little bit deeper, a little bit serious, even more serious. All of these are serious. But fellows in the room, you're gonna make mistakes. You're gonna get things wrong. You're not any less of a man because you made that mistake. You're helping them see a real man, one who's willing and ready to, to repent of his sin. So at times, you should be able to go to your kids and say, I got it wrong. I made a mistake. I need your forgiveness now, I know some of you are looking at me like you're crazy that I'm going to go up to a five-year-old and say, will you please forgive me? But that is exactly what I'm saying. They might not understand the full magnitude of that, but you may model it so that they can actually see it and get it for their future. And so dads, I know we don't want to ask forgiveness. We don't want to admit mistakes because we don't want to ever be wrong. We want to be looked at as the authority, the source of truth, the source of what's right. But here's what I need you to understand. You do not always need to be right. God's goal for you isn't so that your kids think you're always right. His goal is for them to know that he's always right. And in order for that to happen, you are going to have to admit that you're wrong or they're never going to see that he truly is the God who is always right. They're going to look at you and see your hypocrisy, and they're going to put that on God, who is not. So that's a list of things that we don't need to do. From here, Paul does 
go into what they actually do need to do. This is where he goes back and he says, don't provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So these are all the things we're not going to do. We're not going to provoke them to anger. And I told you the big giant list of things that can do that. And I left plenty off, but he says, here's what we also need to do. We have to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So this word right here, it's bring them up is really just one Greek word. And it's the Greek word nourish. It's the same thing that was in Ephesians 5.29. If you've got your Bible open, you can go there. This is the same word when he was talking about how husbands are supposed to love their wife. They're supposed to nourish their wife the way that they would nourish their own body to provide warmth and clothes for it, to provide uh, food for it. And what Paul's talking about here, the thing that we are nursing our kids for, fathers and single moms in the room, the thing that we're nursing our kids for in this is not just him saying, you need to make sure they have uh, money for food, you need to make sure they have clothes. What he actually says to nourish them with is discipline and instruction. Now again, this is where most men have just advocated discipline and instruction to mom, school, government, and eventually prison. I'll just provide. I'll check that box and leave all the others unchecked and just hope things turn out for good. But man, I wanna show you a passage of scripture and I'm gonna actually get really brass tacks practical about how to discipline the right way, God's way. This is the, the base and the guideline for this about how do we actually, do, if I'm supposed to nourish my kid with discipline, here's where we take our P's and Q's from God about how to actually do that. He says, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. All right, so discipline is from God. It's a good thing. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are legitimate, not legitimate. You're not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and respected them for it. Probably not at the time. Uh, later on we did. We'll get to that in a second. How much more should we submit to the Father of the Spirit? He's talking about God the Father. And live. They, and he's talking about earthly fathers. He said, they disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. Verse 11 is my go-to verse for this. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Amen, right? Like, ah, this is not fun. I don't want to be doing this. I don't want to have to, for the 15th time, go tell them this thing. No discipline seems pleasant. It doesn't seem pleasant for them. It doesn't seem pleasant for you to implement the discipline. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, and this is where we have a hard time. Because later on, it doesn't seem like it's ever coming. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Dad's in the room. Your call is to be the trainer. You're the one who trains them in this because Mom, dad, single parent, anybody in the room, we would say, and even if you don't have kids, we would say the thing we want for our kids is we want them to experience a harvest of righteousness and peace in their life. And so let's get really practical, dads. I hope, hope this helps you. What does it look like to discipline your kids? Like if I nourish my kids via discipline, all right? Now, I don't know where, you, how, where or how you discipline your house. Um, we do some certain things in our house, and we do implement from time to time some physical discipline in our house. My hope and prayer is that I can do some of this early, and I never have to do it again. But sometimes this happens in our house. I don't, I'm not saying you have to. I, I think you probably could without it. Um, I think if I maybe didn't have two boys, um, I, don't, I don't think I could whip a little girl. I just, I just don't think. I don't, I don't think I could do that. Um, probably not. Um, but how do we do this? How? First of all, I think your approach is everything. And I'll tell you my approach. Used to be this. See if you can finish the statement. This is gonna hurt me I don't even know where I got that from. Like, tool time, I don't know, home improvement. I don't even know where that came from. But like, those are the things that I, you know, found myself saying early on in this parenting journey because I, I never had this modeled for me. I, this is gonna hurt me more than it's gonna hurt you. Oh, I hate having to do this. Now I'd say these to my kids, but like I remember, you know, especially my oldest, you know, he's probably gotten more whoopings than his little brother um, at this point of being able to have to go like, man, I don't wanna have to do this. I don't like doing this. And saying those things to him, even to the point of going like, I hate having to do this to you. But once I read this passage here in Hebrews, 
I don't think I can say that and not be in sin. Track with me here, fathers. How many of you hate a certain food? All right, you guys all know I hate potato salad. <laughs> you want to know how much potato salad I've eaten in the last year? None. Do you want to know how intentional I am to go out and get potato salad, bring it in and let it be a part of my life? None. Because I verbalized, I hate this. I do not like this. The same principle is true, men in the room. If you're verbalizing and saying, I don't like doing this, I hate doing this, I don't want to do this, do you know what you're more prone to do? You're more prone to avoid that at all costs. You don't want, you're verbalizing, I don't want to do this. Now, here's why that's a problem. God has looked to you to be the trainer of your child, to refuse to let them just be free range chicken kids who just wander off into all the sin of the world, but to say, No, because I love you, I get to discipline you. And so some of the things with my boys, I've had to, I've had to repent of this to, to Titus, at least he's the one who's had been old enough to have this conversation of me going, buddy, I don't enjoy this. It doesn't bring me pleasure. I'm not some psychopath that's, I get to give you, you know, you know, skipping up the stairs to do these types of things. That's bad. He's going to, you know, he'd be in the counselor at Christian school, like real quick counselor's office. Uh, if that's the way I was, but it's being able to go to him and say, listen, if I did not do this, I would be being a disobedient son to our heavenly father. He has trusted me to discipline you. And he trusted me to do that because he loves me. And he trusted me to do that because he loves you. And the most loving thing I could do to you in this moment, buddy, and I know it may not feel like it right now, but the most loving thing I can do to you in this moment is discipline you. I don't hate it. I love the fact that God would trust me with somebody as important as you. Love, care, guide, and correct. I don't hate this. I don't like this, but it's my honor to do this because God loves me and you too much to let us as his sons stumble into sin again and again and again and again. So here's the correction that's coming. Fathers in the room, even moms and moms, you can have that conversation too. Have that conversation with your kids. And not just when you're, you know, taking your belt off, like, you know, like have that conversation if you're pulling keys away. Have that conversation if you're unplugging Xbox Live. Have that conversation so that they know that you're like, I'm not just doing this, buddy, because I want to be a jerk. I'm not just doing this because you made a mistake. I'm doing this because I want a harvest of righteousness and peace in your life. And I love you too much to hope that this jacked up, sense guard, fallen world is going to make that fruit just magically happen in your life. This is me tilling the soil of your life, doing the discipline to sow seeds of correction into you so that you get it. And that's how we nourish our kids with discipline. I know that sounds weird. How do I nourish you with discipline? How do I nourish you with instruction? But that's what it looks like. And our kids desperately need it. And we desperately need it from God. And I pray that today, whether you're a mom in the room, dad in the room, single person in the room, or a young person in the room, you felt that discipline and instruction come from God through his words, and it didn't land on you in a place of condemnation, but it landed on you in a place of where you know that my God loves me and will guide me and help me and navigate through this with me. I would say to the men in the room, again, back to where I started, you have got to get a holy, righteous sense of anger that you refuse to let your family be taken alive by the enemy. You stand up, you step in, humbly and sacrificially serve you be as intentional as possible. And what we're gonna do as a church is we're gonna do everything that we can to partner with you to be able to make sure this can actually happen because too much is on the line. Too much is on the line. For us to just sit idly by and hope and wish and pray.
So as a band gets ready to come back and lead us in a song that talks about this idea and concept and reality of running to the Father that we all have in God, I want you to understand that as we get ready to receive communion, the only way that we're able to run to that Father, to be met by Him, to be received by Him, is that Jesus, the Son, the perfect, spotless Lamb that He is, had His body broken, had His blood poured out, so that we could be sons and daughters of God. That He was treated like the enemy of God, so that we could be treated not just like friends of God, but like children of God. And I pray in this moment, you know, I don't know what type of earthly father you had. Even the best ones that you may have had are shadows of the substance that is our true heavenly father. And in this moment, you run to him, you confess to him, you lay down your life to him and beg him to show you what this looks like. If you're here in this room and and you're a parent who needs help, We want to be able to provide that to you. Whether that's through counseling, whether that's through us partnering together with what's happening in children's ministry. If you're like, what do I need to do? I need the help. Do not try to just figure this out on your own. This is why us as a church, that's why we have children's pastors, why we have youth pastors. That's why if I wasn't a lead pastor, I would probably still be doing one of those two roles. Again, I'll say it. Like for us as a church, our call is to fight for the families of the city, to fight for the families of this church. And that is what we will lay down everything to be able to make sure that we can do for you and your family. You do not have to do this alone. We're here to help. That's why the family of God can come around the family with your last name to make your family tree be one that bears fruit for thousands of generations. I believe that actually is possible. Thousands of generations of fruit come from your family by the decisions you make today. And if one of the decisions you know you need to make today is to give your life to Christ, to be a cycle breaker in your family. I invite you to do that today. You can mark that on the next step cards. You wanna get baptized, you wanna receive salvation. We'd love to do that in the days to come. Let's pray together and receive Jesus' body broken for us, his blood poured out for us. Jesus, thank you. While we were yet sinners, while we were yet enemies of God, you died once and for all. And the sins of Adam, that we all inherited, were washed away by the second Adam, Jesus. So that we can now stand before you righteous, redeemed, with a God who looks down on us and doesn't see condemned sinners, but sees saved sons and daughters. Guide the men in this room, Jesus. Be the husbands dads and future husbands and dads that I know you're calling them to be. I pray that they hear these words, not from my mouth, but from yours. Son, you have what it takes. You have what it takes because you have me. Your name.